Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Our second scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, reading verses 4 through 8, and it's on page 1077 of your Pew Bible. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. We're continuing to journey through the Apostles' Creed together, and this week we're going to consider the statement of the Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But before we do that work together, I want to tell you a little bit of history, a little story about this time when Jesus was around on the earth. You see, for 400 years, between the end of the Old Testament and the birth of Jesus, for 400 years, the people of Israel were waiting for God to show up again, waiting for another prophet to speak with a voice that was clearly God's, waiting for another judge to come through whom God's wisdom might be clearly discerned. But nothing. If you can imagine what that must have felt like, Imagine that for over a thousand years before this, for almost all of recorded history, your people had always had some form of relationship with the divine. You had signs and wonders, and though life wasn't always easy, you always had the voice of God through prophets like Isaiah saying, do not fear, for I am with you. Through prophets like Jeremiah who said, I know the plans I have for you. And then nothing, all of a sudden nothing, not just for a year, not just for a few years, not just for a generation, you could handle that, you'd done it before, but for 400 years, nothing since before the time of your great, great, great grandparents, nothing, no more pillars of cloud or fire, No more promised lands, no more reassuring I am with you. As far as anybody could tell, nothing. For all of our memories since the ancient writings that we call the Old Testament, nothing. But then Jesus, then God with us who comes to us to be with us and live with us, who not even death could hold down. Jesus, who speaks with authority. Jesus, the I am of life and light and truth itself. What a wonderful and marvelous turn of events after generations of a God who seemed to have disappeared, who seemed to have abandoned us, to suddenly a God who is so close that you can touch him, who is so present that you can literally follow in his footsteps because he's actually leaving footsteps. 
Imagine the joy that his disciples felt after such a long silence. And then imagine the fear that gripped them when he said he would be leaving them. Leaving them? But he'd only just come. Not even a generation had passed since that great silence, and then how long until God would be heard again? How long until God would be felt again and known again? Would it be another 400 years? The question they must have been asking is, when God with us leaves, what are we to do? When the hope of the world ascends into heaven, how is the world supposed to know its hope any longer? These must have been the questions that the disciples were coming to terms with as Jesus said he was leaving them. As the truth that we discussed last week, Jesus' bodily ascension unfolded in front of their very eyes and it became clear that he would no longer be their shepherd on the hillside, no longer be their teacher in the synagogue or their friend on the road. These questions must have swirled in their hearts and their minds. Some today respond to this story of Jesus by suggesting that, you know what, it's also been a long time since Jesus walked among us, long before our great-great-grandparents. And they say nothing since these ancient writings that we now call the New Testament. Some today would say that the longer history rolls on without Jesus' return, the more suspicious that promise becomes. Not just 400 years without a sign from God, they say, but 2,000 And maybe Jesus was just a man who became a legend, and a legend that became a myth. And it's easy in the hardest days of life to feel alone, to feel as though God really has abandoned us again, that Jesus' followers remain more orphaned than we would like to admit. But the Christian witness, the Christian witness as long as the church has existed, is not that God has been silent all these 2,000 years, but that we actually continue to hear from God, that God, rather than absent or dead, is more present than we can realize and more involved, in fact, than we sometimes hope for, that God's story has multiplied and not diminished since the time of Jesus' ascension. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Do we believe that God's story is bigger and better, multiplying all the time? Or do we believe that it sort of ended in the pages of the New Testament? Friends, it's by no mistake that the Apostles' Creed follows that truth of Jesus' ascension and eventual return with the assertion that I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Creed continues by pointing us to the person and the way through which God continues to be with us continues to speak to us and to guide us as we together affirm our belief in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the promise of God that addresses the trouble and fear of God's absence following Jesus' ascension. In John's Gospel, having just told his disciples that he would be leaving them, Jesus quickly continues with this assurance saying, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever the spirit of truth. Jesus was returning to his father, but resolute not to leave his dear friends and disciples orphaned. 
He promises that his father will send another, that God will not be withdrawn from humanity for another 400 years. God will not be silent once more, but as a human being returns to the Godhead in Jesus Christ, the Godhead will send the Spirit to dwell forever with human beings. Imagine that. Through Jesus, a human enters into God's community. And by the Holy Spirit, God himself eternally enters into ours. What marvelous and good news. This is what we mean when we say that we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that God has not abandoned us. We believe that God continues to minister to us, abide with us, guide us. That in the same way that Jesus came and revealed the Father to us, in that same way the Holy Spirit came and continues to come to us in order to reveal Jesus Christ more completely to each of us. And that's hard for us to imagine too, because we're here and we're now, and so it's hard for us to believe that Jesus is more known in his absence, that Jesus is more present in the presence of the Holy Spirit than when he was actually just, you know, here, when he was just physically present. How could he be more known now? And there are two ways that the Holy Spirit does make Jesus more known today. The first is in the truth that Jesus was fully God and fully human, and so he was limited by his humanity. Jesus had one conversation at a time. He was in one place at a time. He only preached within walking distance in his country. He had 12 main followers and only three of those particularly close. He needed to sleep. He needed to rest. He needed to eat. And the Holy Spirit doesn't. The Holy Spirit transforms every Christian day by day to be more like Christ. The Holy Spirit's not doing this work only 12 at a time. The Holy Spirit present in every place in this world is leading and guiding and directing the church in all of those places to reveal God's kingdom, to glorify the Son in their actions, to see Christ in those whom they serve, and by their actions of love and service, to be the very hands and feet of our Lord. Because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ is more known. But it's the second way that the Spirit reveals Christ to us that I'd like to linger on this morning. Because I think it's the thing that surprises me the most, and so maybe it's the thing that will surprise you the most as well. Looking at Acts 1 again, the same passage that Phil spoke on last week, we see Jesus' final earthly instructions to his friends before leaving. Stay here. Wait for the Spirit. It won't be long now. And what's their response? Their response is that amazing line, Lord, is this the time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? What, what sort of question is that? I'll tell you, that question is a nationalistic question. That question's an imperial question. That question's a political question in the same way that the world has always done politics. That question is a self-serving question. To put it in a context that perhaps we here are more familiar with, it's as if these disciples ask, Lord, is this when you're going to make America great again? It's the same question with all the same baggage and history and trouble that that question implies. What we see in this brief exchange, 
What this last earthly interaction between Jesus and his friends shows us is that they still don't get it. They're still motivated by the exact same things they were motivated by three years prior. They're still believing in and waiting for the Christ that they've imagined for their whole life. Jesus has come. Jesus has done ministry with them, died in front of them, was raised and revealed himself to them. And these guys, they tried to keep children away from Jesus, but Jesus called the children to him. They offered to call fire down from heaven to burn a Samaritan village to the ground, and Jesus stopped them, thank God. They had seen many signs and wonders up close. They knew how this man worked, and still they don't know who Jesus is. They don't know. And so Jesus, Jesus the only son of the Father, Jesus the best rabbi and teacher in the world, that Jesus spent three years discipling and teaching these people, and they didn't know him, and they still didn't get it. And so what that tells me, church, is that, frankly, it doesn't much matter how good the preaching is on Sundays or how bad the preaching is on Sundays. It doesn't much matter what kinds of discipleship programs we're running as a church together because we can't do what Jesus couldn't do. It doesn't matter how long your pastors spend trying to unpack Scripture with you because we're not going to understand that Scripture any more deeply than these disciples understood it. And that seems to be very little if they understood it at all. The truth that the Bible is pointing us toward is that we cannot know Jesus Christ apart from the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Did you get that? We cannot know Jesus Christ apart from the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit, all of these other efforts are at best laying the groundwork for when the Spirit comes to us, and at worst, they are words spoken in vain and utterly meaningless. It's the Holy Spirit who transformed these disciples of Jesus. Sure, they've been taught by Jesus, but it's the Spirit, even Jesus says, who will really teach them everything. It's the Spirit who will remind them of what Jesus said to them when they're finally prepared to understand it. You see, it's the exact same people in Acts chapter 1 who are eager for the kingdom to be restored to Israel, who then in Acts 2 are proclaiming a gospel they had hardly understood now to foreigners and strangers. It's the exact same people in the exact same place, and the only difference is the presence of the Holy Spirit by whom they now have a fuller understanding of who Jesus really is and what Jesus' kingdom is really about. It's these same people who were zealots prepared to overthrow the Roman Empire by force and who then make it possible for Roman converts to enter into their communities easily without too much trouble or pain. It's these same people who lay down their swords and many of whom die on Roman crosses of their own. Because with the spirit of truth abiding with them, they are being led into lives of truth that they could hardly fathom on their own. And so if we say together, I believe in the Holy Spirit, if we confess faith in the Holy Spirit, it's not only that we acknowledge the existence of God's Spirit. I think that's where we as Presbyterians are want to stop, right? Like, yeah, I believe in the Holy Spirit. It exists. Great. But that's not what this is. 
When we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, we are professing that the Spirit is who the Scripture says the Spirit is, sent by the Father, revealing the Son. And that we believe the Spirit of truth will do what Jesus told us the Spirit of truth would do, lead us into truth by teaching us, correcting us, advocating and praying for us. This is the continued ministry of God to those who will receive it. And this is incredibly good news. But it's also incredibly challenging news. Because what would it mean for you to live a life defined by God's truth? There are lies that we all choose to believe in because they make us feel comfortable. They help us feel safe and secure. But what if the Spirit began to peel those lies away from you? Perhaps you would feel naked and exposed. Maybe you'd feel attacked and afraid. What if the Holy Spirit challenged us that our biggest hopes and dreams for our lives and for this world What if the Spirit convinced us that those things we've set our hearts on are not the things that God desires for us, are not the greatest good for our lives, will not bring about our flourishing? How do you imagine that would go over? The Holy Spirit, as Pope Francis writes, bothers us. Bothers us because it stirs within us dissatisfaction with all we have been trained to be satisfied with. And we would rather be soothed into complacency than stirred into the Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit bothers us because it opens our eyes to the realities of God's love that will not be satisfied to stop at the borders we have set for ourselves, that will not be content to stop at the limits of our comforts, that will push us at all times to cross into new and unknown territory, to break down dividing walls of hostility, to seek out reconciliation, to live into the kingdom that Jesus promises he will bring in its fullness. But we don't need to enter into that kingdom. It's the place where we will encounter the risen Christ. It's the place where his spirit continues to dwell and move and pull us toward until the day he returns, but we could choose instead to ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We could choose the kingdoms of this world that promise comforts that we will never enjoy and satisfaction of needs that in them will always be lacking. But more importantly than that, these kingdoms are the very ones that God's coming kingdom will undo. And so any respite we find in them will be short-lived and painful. The Holy Spirit of God does not allow us to find cheap comforts or to find hollow solace. The Holy Spirit will not permit being content with the status quo or acclimated to the broken ways of our world, but instead teaches us the ways of Christ in our lives, disciples us from the inside out to become the very image of Jesus in our unique circumstances. It should be no exercise in imagination for us gathered here to see what Jesus would look like as a teacher, as an engineer, as a plumber, as a high school student, as a stay-at-home parent. Because in each of your lives, the Holy Spirit should be making that reality become more and more clear day by day. We should each have to look no further than the other to see more completely all the time how God continues to enter into this world today. How Jesus is, in fact, more present in Toronto through the work of the Holy Spirit in us 
than he would be if he was sitting in one of our pews this morning. We should experience how the discomfort that the Spirit sometimes causes us to feel as it stretches us is actually good as we see that same process happening in our sisters and brothers in this place and witness through it the beautiful handiwork of God. Church, I've got to be honest with you, it's because I believe in the Holy Spirit that I see in each of your stories that I know the very work of God. It is because we believe in the Holy Spirit that we together are able to say that we are a church that is following Jesus because without the Spirit, we'd all be making up who Jesus is for ourselves instead of learning who Jesus is from the one who was sent to teach us. It is because of the Holy Spirit's real presence with us, real action in our church that we are able to say that we are loving the city and serving the world and not just seeking our own comfort and good. So friends, may the Holy Spirit in whom we believe make Jesus more present in each of our lives, in each of our classrooms and neighborhoods and workplaces, all for the sake of his kingdom, now and forevermore. Amen. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit of God, we are grateful that you are present among us and that because of your presence in us and through us, we know Jesus Christ. We know Jesus more deeply than we could have known if we were one of his disciples all those years ago. We know Jesus more personally because through you, we are drawn into his body, made into his presence. And so help us, Spirit, to hear your voice, to know your movement. Help us to move beyond being bothered by you and rather be excited and energized by the reality you draw us into. Help us as we say the words of the creed saying, I believe in the Holy Spirit, to really believe in the work that you do, to really commit ourselves to participating in that work. to identifying your place in our community and to following wherever you lead. Amen.